0: Hiring the wrong executive costs you time and money. Leveraging work psychology, Spirit Consulting helps you hire the right executive so you can focus on growing your business. For a free quote, visit spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome back to the Tips for Team Building podcast, where our mission is to inspire and propel others along in their leadership journeys. I'm your host, Jaden Smith, and so excited... To welcome Ryan Culkin to the show. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time uh, this morning. For those who don't know you, we always start the podcast with an easy question Who are you?
1: Who am I? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I would say that, uh, gosh, I'm a, I'm a family man, I'm a father of two, um, I've got an uh, amazing wife, and so I'm a husband, um, a counselor, and yeah, I just, yeah. Uh, Love relationships, love um, kind of a uh, vibe off of energy for my friends. And uh, coaching is, you know, I, I was an, ex-ath- an ex-athlete. And so I love getting back to the, the athletic realm through coaching. Um, not doing any coaching right now, but definitely hope to get back into it soon. Um, that's probably, yeah, a, g- a good glimpse of who I am. I, I'm an operator. I love kind of just, uh, you know, solution focused mindset where we give, give me, give me a task to attack. And and I love to just kind of, um, you know, plan with others to have a good resolution for in my specific situation for our clinicians at ThriveWorks.
0: Awesome. 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 And, you know, talking through those relationships and, 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 and coaching, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of that in your role as the chief counseling officer at uh, ThriveWorks. So could you tell the audience a little bit more about, how you got into the leadership position you're in today and kind of what that encompasses?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, early I was was actually one of those fortunate people that kind of knew what I wanted to do actually in high school, uh, which is not always the case. (laughs) I I definitely had a passion for helping people and specific uh, helping uh, kids and teens that I felt like were just dealt a, a hard hand. Uh, I went on a, a mission trip in high school to Guatemala and I was in this, this uh, Mayan village and I just, yeah, my heart broke for all these kids that were just, just needed a second chance. And so I, I knew from there that I, I really wanted to work with kids and teens and, um, and I knew the best way to do that was to go into mental health. I, I didn't know what that meant at the time. I didn't know if that meant a master's degree or whatever. I just knew I wanted to help people. Uh, so I, I went to, you know, I went to Liberty University, uh, played football there, and was able to also get my undergraduate degree in psychology and, and stayed there and got my master's in, in counseling and uh, then practiced for about, about five, six years. And uh, kind of throughout that time uh, was really gaining a, a distrust and almost a disgust with the mental health industry. Uh, it was, uh, at that time clinicians were burning out left and right. Uh, and that was the way it was taught to me in college. And, and even through my first couple, uh, employers was burnout isn't inevitable. It's going to happen, you know, and when it does, that's when you go to the admin side of the field. And I just thought that that was sort of ridiculous. Um, it's <laughs> thought like if our, if our doctors and our dentists and all our healthcare lines inevitably burned out, uh, what what would the world look like? Uh, But for counselors, it was like this, you know, that's normal. And so I really did not like that. And so at that time, I was actually in this, you know, in this crossroads of like, do I want to just not do counseling? Um, You know, you had companies that were focused on productivity so much and, um, you know, non-clinical departments being run by clinical people. I just, you know, it just—it just didn't make sense in, in terms of operational efficiencies. That sort of mindset I love of, you know, let's let's do the best we can to support clinicians, and probably the best way to do that is to have professionals in that realm running that department. And so, yeah, I, I, I was seriously thinking about just going into ops somewhere else. And then I, um, I knew uh, AJ Centaur, who is our, our who is who was our CEO at the time and is our founder um, through a colleague at a a different, um, job. And there was a Thriveworks here in Lynchburg where I'm at. And I walked by it one night and I was like, gosh, this is, this is how counseling is supposed to be. I was with my wife. I remember it's in our downtown area. And I looked in there, I was like, this looks like a coffee shop. Like it's got super cool furniture, you know, sound machines aren't playing. It's like Alexa's playing Coldplay's (laughs) on, you know what I mean? And so it's like, this is the kind of counseling I want to be a part of. And so I actually applied just randomly to a resident position, which is basically like an intern in mental health world, um, very similar to a resident in medical sense, but not as obviously intense. And, um, I got the job. I was the first resident ever hired for ThriveWorks and I was, I had no idea what it meant, but I was just so happy to be a part of ThriveWorks because I could tell something was different. Like... They had a marketing team and they focused on SEO and it wasn't no one had a license in that department. It was people that went to school for marketing or, you know, and so, yeah, I just really had a respect for their operations and how they were trying to run themselves like a fortune 500 company, but they're in mental health. And at that time there wasn't a lot of people doing that. It was like what I was talking about before or, you know, healthcare through, uh, you know, hospitals or residential facilities. And yeah, I just, I, this there was this energy and I was like, I have to be part of this. This could be where I actually can, you know, execute my passions and also make sure that like, I feel good about the business model basically, right? And so, yeah, I um was a resident there for only like a short amount of time, like about six months. Uh, I, even though I was the first resident here, they weren't ready to, to start sending me clients because they were still figuring that out. So I didn't have, I only had a short, a few amount of clients, and then we we started this position called the um, regional clinic director. It was the first of its kind, and it was basically a, a way of setting up the clinicians for success through advocacy and making sure that all departments were uh, united and moving in the right direction to make sure the clinics and clinicians were able to be successful with their clients. And so I, I got that role and uh, loved it. It was very. I had my background as a, as a therapist, and I was able to. You know, know the you know the position they and in, understand how to support them for the you knew they needed support, right? And then also marry that with what's being what's the goal of the company, and how can I get it to where the clinicians in the both the company feel like it's a good decision for them, right? And so, yeah, I loved that role. I was in that role for about a year and a half, um, and then I was uh, promoted to be our executive clinic director to oversee all clinicians nationwide. And then, um, lastly, I was, uh, promoted to chief counseling officer about two years ago now. And yeah, I just, I love it. I I basically find success in, in having unbelievable, uh, uh, directors that work for me that are just leaders, motivators, and they, and, um, and I partner with other departments here at ThreatWorks and making sure that, you know, very commonly I'll be, they'll basically ask me, hey, does this make sense? This is what we would do if we weren't in a mental health company, but does this make sense for mental health? And i yes or no. Uh, and I'm able to give feedback. Yeah, that, like, let's change this. That word doesn't really make sense. And so, um, but I love that. It's, it's basically, you know, we're trying to be a, a very successful and operationally run company. Um, but also carry out this mission of let's help people live happy and successful lives and, and have that clinical piece. And so that's definitely what's attracted and kept me here at ThriveWorks is we, we're, we're not a, a tech company that's trying to utilize mental health or anything like that. We are a mental health company founded by a licensed therapist. We have licensed therapists on our executive management team. And we really tried to emphasize that we are people helping people and, uh, yeah, I just love that. And it's the best of both worlds for me in terms of,
0: you know, exercise
1: my passions and, uh, and making sure that, um,
0: yeah, my skills are, are being able to be utilized as an operator. Yeah, I love that. And lots of like unpack there. Um, I love yeah. how you kind of get to service like that, that checks and balance, you know, of like, Hey, does this make sense from a clinical perspective as well? Um, because I think that you you so often see, especially like in healthcare, and especially those like areas of healthcare that are like you know private equity or venture capital backed, you know those high growth, very rapid moving you know organizations. Is sometimes it is all about those KPIs, the metrics, and the ROI that can you know come back um, from that investment. Um, and being able to, like, have kind of the checks and balances of like, okay, Ryan, yes or no? <laughs> you know, yeah. does this make sense? That's awesome. And, you know, just kind of envy, envy. and I'm sure, you know, many people, you know, in the audience do the fact that you knew what you wanted to do in high school. Um, I think that so many of us go through that, like, that struggle of... Thinking we know what we want to do, then you start doing it, then you change it, and then you change it again and, you know, do a couple of different things before you really, you know, find that passion. Uh, mm-hmm. So kudos to you for, you know, having that, like, that moment of reflection early on to be able to find that. Um, you know, and then lastly, you know, one of the things that really struck a chord that you shared, you know, Ryan was that trip to, to Guatemala and how that like, you know, just made you, you know, kind of like, it just increased that desire to help people. You know, I had a similar experience in studying abroad um, in Costa Rica, where we went into like a rural part of the country and taught like uh, taught dental hygiene and English to you yeah. know a, a, a school out there. And it was just like, it was just such a rewarding experience, but such an eye-opening experience as well. Like you don't, like when we're living in America, like we don't recognize like so many people complain about this, that, and another, and don't get me wrong. Like not everything's perfect, right? Like there, there are challenges, but then like, it's just such a, like a humbling moment to be like, to go into an area like that. And just like, appreciate what you have and use those skills and resources that you have to be able to help others um so i really really love that yeah
1: no absolutely it was it was that was exactly what it was It was an eye-opening moment for me i i felt so fortunate compared to what, what, what the people i was working with and i was yeah i just felt like i had to yeah i just felt like kids and teens it was like they they were dealt a bad hand and, and it wasn't their fault and but I, and I didn't want them to, to basically feel like you have to be, um, that you, that you're set, that you're stuck, right. You can actually still be successful and you have the skills and, and strengths to do that. And maybe I can just help guide you a little bit, but it's them doing the work. Right. So yeah. yeah, I just, I just couldn't help but stop thinking about that. And then, you know, obviously I guess something I mentioned was, yeah, I don't practice anymore. Um, I kind of was able to figure and it was a confusing time for me it's like you know why did i why was i you know given these passions and heart for helping people but then i quickly realized that like like i said that just the operations in the industry at that time were, were not moving in the right direction for the clinicians and the clinicians are like that's that's like who's helping these people and if we have great clinicians that feel empowered at the role like you're gonna have no problem having clients come and so um yeah, I, I I quickly realized that full time therapy was not for me. Uh, I'm way too impatient. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm so I'm very solution focused, like I mentioned. So like that can that can work sometimes, but most times it's it's not the best. Uh, you know, I would say counseling relationship. So I, I yeah, my I find my passion now in, in equipping clinicians to be successful through operational best practices. You know, make sure we hire excellent clinical people. and you know clinical gurus as we would call them. Uh, but making, you know, helping them as the field of modernizes, is involved, they're not getting those updates, right? They're not seeing those things. We don't, we don't get taught anything in college around, uh, operational best practices. It's just clinical, 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 clinical. And so when, that's why I always like, when somebody opens up a small, their own private practice, like how did you gain that small business, uh, knowledge, right? Which is tough. It's tough. We don't get that, but that's kind of like the end all goals. Like own my own private practice and so you know that's where we kind of come in we're like give you that feeling of you're owning your own private practice but support you with uh you know state-of-the-art sort of department marketing credentialing licensing that sort of thing
0: yeah yeah absolutely and you know i think it you know it's just one of those things like you said where it just like it empowers empowers the clinicians to focus on what they went to school for, like they didn't focus yeah. on running payroll, and you know, doing hiring and stuff like that, they went to school to be a clinician and to help people. So just to be able to have that structure within the organization, you know, to do that is just so powerful. And, you know, I think that that starts, you know, Ryan, with building up, you know, relationships and building up trust, and, you know, getting people to to buy into that. And you mentioned earlier, you know, in, in describing who you were, uh, one of the things that you said was I'm a relationship builder. So just want to kind of hear, you know, more about how how you go about building relationships as a leader.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I Yeah, I think for me, I've always tried to, well, I've learned that I need to adapt to the way the person I'm working with and how they receive, how they want to be led, right? Um, and how they want to build relationships. If you go with this mindset of like, I'm the leader, you adapt to me, you're gonna be quickly humbled and um, that's just not the way it is anymore. And so I love that challenge of like, I gotta get to know this person, right? And remembering those things. Like I, 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 I think that if you can remember the the real talk times that you have with your colleagues, supervisees, you know, um, and you can bring it back up in a, in a future long, you know, two months down the road, that goes such a long way with them and letting them know that you, you care, and so I kind of think of it like, you know, I, I really struggle with the pandemic because I love in person. I'm, uh, I'm, I was the first person back in the office. <laughs> I, I buzz off people's energy, and so I mean, it's kind of like those moments where you're talking to someone and they say something, and you're like. Oh, this is real. And you close the laptop, right? Like that's the thing. Like you close the laptop and that's like saying like, okay, let's talk. Well, I can't really have that anymore because most of our, still a lot of my working relationships go through the, the laptop. But basically like the close the laptop type of conversations of, let's have a real conversation and really um, make them feel safe about disclosing things that probably would have been seen as, oh, that's bad boundaries like five years ago. Or those keep, professional, right? Like I, yeah, we're, we're, I can't do the whole, like, so serious, like no joking. I have to like, in a sense, love the people I work with. And I'm not going to be able to have that type of working relationship with them if I don't get to know them. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, letting people feel safe and, 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 and disclosing those things and also Make them not feel incompetent for showing their weaknesses. Uh, I think that's huge. Obviously, if it's something that's coming up all the time, it's like, okay, maybe we need to talk about how we <laughs> have a better, you know, relationship here or better boundaries. But that, that's never the case. Like, we're we're a counseling company, mental health company. Why would we shy away from uh, having mental health safety amongst our employees? And we know that, you know, the biggest indicator of success. In the counseling uh, journey, is that relationship? If you can build a relationship, you're really going to uh, see a lot of a higher chance of success. And so, if they're confiding with me, that's showing that the relationship is improving, and that's what I want, and that's what my uh, you know directors want with their uh, employees. And so, yeah, I think just trying to have those real time, con- real talk conversations as much as possible has been something that I've found success with in, in just building relationships and just having a genuine interest. If you actually don't think of it as like, this is a ploy or a play to get better in my position or um, you know, be more successful, that's not gonna work. Like, that's just like, it's just fake, right? And it, it, But if you can actually be like, I wanna get to know this person, I wanna know them, who they are, their family, their their, their friends, their social life, it's yeah, if you enjoy the people you work with, I think that you just have way more success in, in building those relationships. And that's definitely how I've found success with it. Sometimes I'm not I'm I'm not good at all the time, right? Like, you know, things things are busy. And sometimes I'll I'll end a meeting and I'll reach out to that person and be like, I I was brutal there. I was working while you were talking to me, like, let's do this over again. But realizing the importance of that, I think is important. And um, I think a lot of people just miss out on that opportunity of like. Uh, so focused on getting the job done itself, and not thinking about how you're getting the job done, and that's through the people. And so, yeah, I guess that's my sort of long-winded answer to your question of how I look at building relationships. Um, i sure there's things I'm missing, but that's, that's what definitely comes to mind when I hear that question.
0: Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You wanna be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riverlightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Yeah. Absolutely. And one, one analogy that I've, uh, you know, I've used before on a, a previous episode, and I think that it's so relevant here is like, you were kind of talking about boundaries and getting to like, know the genuine person and like things that might've been like, you know, taboo to talk about like five years ago or like not, you know, within the professional setting. And, you know, the, you know, kind of example that I use is that like, there is kind of that old mindset of like, you know, you've got, you've got, professional, personal, and then you have like the great wall of China between yeah. the two and there's no overlap, nothing breezes over. But realistically, you know, we have to rec- like realize that it's probably more like a chain link fence, you know, the wind blows and things are coming from one side to another. And, you know, that's going to, you know, allow you to build deeper relationships, but then it also allows you to like recognize when people are struggling, like it may not be professionally related, it may be personally related, right? Or like when you do give them when they're very stressed out at work, that also affects their personal life and kind of like recognizing that, you know, and building relationships and just being mindful and like how you lead, because that's probably more realistic than, you know, the big, the big great wall that you put between the two.
1: Absolutely. Yep. No, for sure.
0: So so Ryan you know you have a very important job at ThriveWorks you know serving as the chief counseling officer and you know trying to push you know business objectives forward but then also you know this responsibility to build relationships and build culture um, you know with the with the clinicians and within the practices so how want to kind of hear like how do you balance you know when that does Conflict with each other when you have this responsibility to be the culture champion, but then you also have like the responsibility to, to move business objectives forward.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, uh, and that, I'm also fortunate here. Um, and let me tell you why. Uh, our CEO now and our CEO before has always had the the mindset and mission of like we want to do what's best for the client. I know that sounds super, you know, uh, just in a way like cliche, but it's just it is it, it's it felt here. And so when all of our executives have that mindset of what is best for the clinician, what is best for the client, how can we support them? What is best for our billing team? What's best for our scheduling team? How can we make sure that they are successful? Like it's really easy to mend that with your mid level managers or because they feel it. And and you know if there if it if there was a, a tougher spot it's just the honesty piece right like I just tell them straight up why we're doing what we're doing and how that helps our mission and if I can tie everything back to core values and mission and everyone believes in the core values and mission it's pretty it's easier to get that across right and so I think um, I think also one thing I've found a lot of success with and I've learned the hard way is, Uh, communicating better, right? So things that I'm working on on, with the executive team, making sure that I'm not blindsiding the mid-level managers when they're rolled out, like giving them lots of insight in what we're working on and sort of just walking the talk, right? If we can talk about all these things, but they don't see the actual wins, that's, that's tough. And so, you know, when we go through tougher times here at Thriveworks, which, you know, every company does, when they see, oh, we're actually moving towards that and actually improving things, it goes. It does a long. Way. It goes a long way with the with the clinicians and with all the employees. Like, oh, they they understood that they saw it, and even though they recognized that it was, they 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 dropped the ball there. They're they're coming back quickly with a with a plan that's uh, going to improve the mission of ThriveWorks. And so, yeah, I I think I would it would be, it would be a struggle for me. I think if um the clinical filter wasn't there. Right. I think that'd be very tough because I can understand the draw of why you'd want to be a mental health company right now. Um, it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's a great place to be. And if, but if you don't understand how a clinician and client works, you would be pushing things that actually make sense numbers wise. Right. It's like, yeah, that, that you should do that. But like, if you didn't know that the the impact that's going to have, then yeah, you'd have to have these tough conversations. Like, how am I going to get this across to someone that's like, that's just not going to roll. Right. And so luckily I've very rarely been put in those situations to where I feel like we have to I've never have I been put in a situation where I feel like we're going in the opposite direction of our mission. And yeah, I'm just super fortunate. I, 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 I don't know how I would handle that situation. And, um, I mean, I probably just wouldn't be a part of something like that because I, I think mi- your your company's mission is is the DNA and the in, in who you are as a person, and, and when it comes to who you are as a company, same way. So, yeah, um, I don't. I guess I don't have a great answer for that around, except for like if you do feel like it's something that's going to maybe not be received well, be honest and hear it, have and give the give them a safe space to, to give their feedback, right? Um, yeah yeah, provide, build safety and really make sure that you, um, sh- show vulnerability in those situations. Uh, cause if you don't, you yeah, you'll, you'll definitely feel it one way or another.
0: Yeah. And I love that. I think, you know, um, I think just providing, you know, like you said, providing the information, but providing the why and then tying it back, you know, that's, I think that's where like a lot of people struggle is they're just <laughs> like, hey, we're doing this because X, Y, and Z, um, and maybe they do provide the Y, but maybe that Y doesn't align with the mission or the values. So just finding ways to, you know, even if it is something that's different, it's a change, you know, it's something that might not be, you know, popular right away showing, yep. you know, the why and how it ties in, you know, long-term I think is, is so important and great advice. So, so thanks mm-hmm. for sharing that Ryan. Um, yeah. So as you know, Thriveworks has grown and you have grown, you know, in your career at Thriveworks, I'm sure that, you know, nothing's ever changed. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure there's been, you know, many times throughout the years that like you've been able to practice change management. So can you tell us, you know, maybe about a time that you rolled out a a new initiative, how you were able to gain that buy-in and how you were able to deal with team members who were maybe reluctant to that change?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think change management is, is really, uh, it's an evolution. Like you see a ton of it. Like when we were in the bootstrapping days, right. Where it's just like, make it happen was like running through my, my DNA. Right. And it's like, uh, you're always trying to improve things. Cause it's just, we started off as like a five department company and now I probably have like 10 departments. Right. And so it's like, um, I think that you really want to find a balance though of how much change you do because uh, too much great change is not good for a company in my mind, because you're constantly just like changing things up. And so uh, I think that, you know, if you, if, I, if I were to think of how much change I'd want, it's like maybe one or two things a month. That's that's pushing though, in my mind, um, unless there's things that are like on fire, right? And so that, I think when you're looking at change management, it's like and new as compared to uh, existing uh, improvements. It's like, is this a bells and whistle or is this a broken system that needs to be fixed ASAP? And that will require more urgency. Uh, The way we look at change management here is to fully understand the problem uh, or the reason for the change management. So, um, you know, I think a lot of times and I'm guilty myself, I think I know the answer to why something's broken, especially if it has to do with clinicians or clients. I've learned that as we've gotten bigger, that's not always the case. And getting the clinician's feedback is huge. Getting the client's feedback, surveys, finding out actually what needs to be improved is huge. So exhaustive discovery. And even though that took a while for me to get used to because in the old days it was like, no, I want to change this now, I want to fix it now, right? But it's like, that's not always the best thing to do, right? And so um, fully understanding the issue, and and or the, the the problem statement basically, and then uh, developing a great plan, and get, making sure everyone is involved that needs to be involved. That's something that I would sometimes forget, or we would forget here at ThriveWorks, or any company. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize how this was going to impact you guys. I should have you know contributed or got you in the contributed column there. Um, and then um, then rolling it out in a way that like it goes back to what I was talking about. The, walking your talk, right? Showing them that you're, you're improving it. Um, yeah, that's that's sort of how we've done it in the past. I think when we f- feel like hesitancy or, or um, not no buy-in, I want to understand. I've always told my uh, directors, like, if you don't believe in what I'm saying, let's hash it out. Not that I want to change your mind, but I just know that if you don't believe in something that you're doing as a manager it's going to be really hard to get buy-in from your people, the people that report to you. Right. I just, I had, that's how, that's why I've had success is because like I was able to believe in what we were doing. And then that belief, it's just infectious. It goes everywhere. And so I love those moments of like, okay, you don't feel good about this. Let's talk about it. And a lot of times it's mostly just confusion, not understanding what's going on. And, um, and so I think, yeah, just really having like a real talk moment again around what's, what, what, where is this coming from? Let's talk about it. Why do you feel this way? And not like, hey, you just need to get over it because that's not going to have an impact. I want everyone to believe in what we're doing and because I just know how impactful it is when you're trying to spread that across a company. So yeah, d- yeah just offer that, that safe place for them to give feedback. And uh, and then sometimes I learn from them. Oh, you're, that's a great point, right? And so go back to the you know the the if there's a task force that's working on it. Hey, this is feedback we heard. Can we get this in version one or is this version two? Uh, usually it's version two because we you know we don't want to delay something. But that's that's that, that's good enough, right? It's like knowing that you, your feedback was received and it's actually something we think is going to actually improve what we're trying to roll out. That's going in version two for sure. Uh, If we can get it in the MVP, that's awesome. But sometimes that can be tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Love that. And I think that, you know, that's a, a powerful reminder as well. You know, I think that, you know, you spoke to earlier how you're very like solutions oriented. And most people that, you know, get into these, you know, executive level seats, like you get into that level, because you are very like, you know, pushing the needle, very much solutions and problem solving focus and very like ambitious and driven in that way. And just kind of recognizing that like, that's, that's great. in doses (laughs) but that like, you know, just kind of recognizing that like, you can't be doing that all the time, or else like too many changes just creates confusion, it creates, you know, people not being, you know, as bought in, it creates just like, you know, almost like a, um, you know, it's almost like diluting the mission a little bit, right? Because it's like, what is our mission anymore? Because we keep changing things, right? So like, you know, just being like mindful of that, you know, and and kind of like harboring in your own kind of ambitious nature in that way.
1: Yeah, well, and new initiatives have no proof, right? So you actually don't know if it's going to work. Whereas in improving uh, existing processes, you know, like the impact that at least it's having, right? So, you know, you probably received well when you improve it, but a new thing could be, it could be a hit or a miss. Right. And so, uh, I do think great companies are built upon having good new initiatives. You have to take those, you have to do that, but you just want to be, you, you have more, there's more security improving current processes because you know, the impact they're going to have, what, what impact that's going to have uh on on the company.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to flip the uh you know kind of the topic a little bit and I think that you know talk we've talked about kind of like culture, relationships and um you know like change management. Um I want to talk a little bit kind of about performance management and your your kind of approach there and you know I think that as a as a trained counselor and clinician you're kind of drawn you're drawn here by this like natural inclination to want to help people. Um, As a leader, if we, you know, like, it's kind of like drawing that like fine line, because sometimes as a leader, if we like just want to continuously help, like it can just, you know, blind the facts of a situation as well, right? Like, there's only so much that we can do, we can take you, you know, to the, uh, you know, to the pond, but we can't make you drink the water. Um, so, you know, this, this inclination to, you know, give support can sometimes be, you know, a lost cause for someone who might be in the wrong seat on the bus or just not a fit on the bus in general. So how do you, how do you as a leader differentiate, differentiate Ryan, like whether a team member needs additional support, whether they're in the wrong seat or whether they just like simply shouldn't be on the bus? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. Um, well, I think that it goes back to the recruiting piece there. Uh, I love recruiting. I love interviewing. I love asking tough questions. I want to see as much of the person as I can, uh, then see the skill. Uh, and so I think when it comes to putting someone in the bus, it's, it's really around culture and, and, ra- and who they are as a person. The seat is more like, yeah, more related to the skill. And that can be tougher to obviously see in a, in a, in, a in, or in an interview, right? Um, I think that for me, I always like to give them a chance to voice their own goals, and and so maybe they're super off track with a company metric. Well, great. Well, what are you gonna? What do you, what do you think you can accomplish? And then see if that happens. Uh, that's, that's really been, uh, big for me to, to, you know, do they have the capacity to do it? Uh, we know they probably want to do it. Um, but do they have the capacity to do it and capacity to sort of be, be able to, to have have discretion around what they're telling what their goal is and then accomplish that. Cause then it puts in their own hands, right? It's like, okay, you are, you have some good excuses for why you didn't accomplish your metrics. What can you accomplish in your mind? And then if they do it, it's like, awesome. There we go. Great. If not, then it's like, okay, what went wrong? And hearing that, you know, I think I struggle with, um, I struggle sometimes with excuses. Um, and probably, you know, that's probably just something that was infusing me earlier in my work careers of, and also as an athlete, it's like excuses don't really work. They don't like, you know, it's like own it. Right. And I, and I try to still have that, like, with like a, a you know, extreme ownership, leadership, you know style of like if we're not successful that's on me first right always like i'm not gonna you know but i think giving them the chance to talk about it and then seeing how they do and see how they respond that's where they really get to see like you know are are they in the right seat um i'm trying to think of experiences like that yeah i mean we've had you know people that are probably better clinically and uh, not so much operationally. So maybe it's looking at putting them in a position of mid-level management around operations into mid-level management around learning or, or clinical learning. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, you'll, you'll know, I, I love, you know, if, if, if I felt like they weren't in the right seat, it's like, well, do you, what, what, are, what, are you, what are you good at? Like, what do you want to be a part of? And seeing that, if that's open here at ThriveWorks or seeing if that's something that I think they can do, Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, you know, just going back to what, you know, the beginning there is really around, uh, putting it on them to see what they can accomplish. And then that shows me tons of color around, does this person have the capacity to do it?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's great. Like, just holding, you know, giving them the chance to voice the reasons or, you know, why they feel like they, they weren't successful and then just holding them accountable to goals set. Um, I think that's so important. Like you see so many times in organizations where like goals are set by the leaders, right? And like the, the, the team members, the mid-level managers, whatever, you know, it may be in that case, like don't have as much say in that goal. And so to be able to, like, say, hey, this is your goal and you're owning it, I think is just so powerful to then say, okay, like, you didn't accomplish it. You set the goal. So, like, what what's going on here? And, you know, gives you kind of like some, some good insight there. Um, so, you know, Ryan, into, uh, you know, in today's, you know, just economic and employment, uh, you know, market and kind of the conditions. Um, retaining staff is just, you know, so, so crucial every, every company, every healthcare company, and I'm sure it's no different for mental health is, you know, facing challenges in that way with, you know, whether it be recruitment, retention, um, et cetera. Um, so want to kind of hear, I guess, your, um, your advice or kind of your best practice and what you consider to be most important in retaining staff, you know, within your organization. Yeah. This is going to sound really
1: redundant. Uh, I mean, obviously, you got to you got to stay competitive, right? Uh, you got to you you know, you know compensation wise and benefits wise and support wise. Uh, but you know, saying that's all even or even maybe a little lower. Let's say it's even a little lower than the competition. I think, like I said, there here's some redundancy here. Uh, belief in the mission, great culture, uh, put making sure people put you are putting people in the right seat, right? Like. Someone's going to stay in the position if they're good at the position. Uh, so that's really important. That's why I still actually am in the interviews for our clinician managers because it's just so important to, 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 to me and to the company that that person is, is great at leading and, and motivating and, and advocating uh, for their clinicians. And then, and then lastly, it's that building the relationships piece. So everything we've already touched on, sadly... <laughs> it's kind of my mindset around retention. I I can't tell you how many times even in the driver's darkest moments we've had clinicians say like I believe in this company. Like I'm I'm going to give you guys a chance, right? Or you know, I I want to be a part of this, right? And so like gosh, that goes so far and that's all the time back to mission, right? And so I think that if you can and yeah, you know, if you're fortunate to be a part of a company where the the mission that you put on your website because it sounds great is actually the, uh, goal of the CEO of the board of the leadership team, then you're going to be, your retention is going to be way better uh, already automatically. And so, um, and I think that there's a lot of, I think there's a, there's a lot of employees that are not fortunate enough to be a part of a company like that. And so, yeah, I don't know if you want want to dig deeper anymore there, but it's those four things that we've already talked about around mission, putting people in the right seat, uh, building relationships, and just building a a safe culture
0: around uh, your people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good way to kind of, you know, wrap up the episode and kind of bring it all, you know, back together of what we've, you know, what we've talked about, Ryan, in one final kind of question. So, so Ryan, if uh, if people were you know kind of moved or driven um, you know by by your you know wisdom that you've shared today or examples that you've shared or you know just are looking to network and build out their own skills, how how can people reach out to you?
1: Probably LinkedIn, probably the best. That's probably where I'm most like uh, active and, and and okay to accept. People that I don't really know, <laughs> um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a social influencer or anything like that. So LinkedIn's usually where I do most of my networking, and uh, you know, love to to hear, you know, I love I love connecting with other companies and kind of the roles I'm in, hear what they're facing, hear the challenges they're facing, what's the cool things they're they're working on and, and trying to accomplish, and uh, yeah, obviously love love hearing from clinicians. Uh, it's still one of my favorite things to do. Whenever I interview for a position that uh, is a clinician going to the admin side of the field? I love it because it's like I get to meet the people that are actually, you know, uh, helping the people. And and so um, you know, if clinicians obviously wanted to to get to know kind of what ThriveWorks is about. I love to talk to them on
0: LinkedIn as well. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And we will link your your LinkedIn profile to the show so that way people can easily um, access that. You know, Ryan, just want to say thank you so much for being a guest on the Tips for Team Building Podcast. Uh, I enjoyed the opportunity to connect with you. Hope that your you know, wisdom shared just inspires our audience. I'm sure that it will. And I uh, look forward to continuing the dialogue. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Tips for Team Building podcast, where we propel others along in their leadership journeys. If you enjoyed the show, would you please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listened? You can also visit www.spiritmco.com to find out more about how Spirit Consulting inspires virtuous leadership. We'll see you next time.